Hey guys, I'm, I'm gonna, man, I feel like I'm in a, um, I feel like I'm in like an athletic competition here. All speaking back to back. I'm gonna need to change clothes after this round, okay? Uh, this is great. Well, hey, this, so we're talking about a building, okay? We're talking about a foundation of love. I wanna talk about, I wanna talk about unity in our marriages, and that's gonna be our walls, okay? Unity. Um, when, when God talks about our marriages, he talks about them in the sense that we become what? One. And which means, obviously, without one of you, you're less than whole. I'm going to give you a statement that I'll... I'll unpack along the way if I can, but no doubt the greatest thing that ever happened in my marriage was when I stopped viewing my wife as a competitor, but as a completer. I grew up in a home, and I, I, I'm going to say this, it's going to sound terrible, but I love my parents, my parents are awesome, but in my home, the home I grew up in, my dad was passive. Okay? You know what I mean by that? He just wasn't really involved. It was, he liked to kind of chill, just not super, I just don't remember like me doing a lot of stuff with him. It just wasn't, that just wasn't, and, and incredibly passive when it came to the management of our home and our lives. I mean, he always had a job, was always faithful at that. It wasn't that. It wasn't like he was lazy. I'm not saying he was a bum. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he was relatively passive. My mom was very aggressive. Okay, my mom made a lot of decisions. My mom uh, had to make even certain big decisions. And I remember... Even though I wasn't even a Christian, I didn't become a Christian until I was 19. I just remember not liking that when I was a kid. There's just something about it I didn't care for. Because I, I think naturally we understand that, that as far as roles are concerned, uh, men have the leadership role in the home. Okay? The ladies have a support role at home. Unless you think that's, oh, you're one of those guys, aren't you? You think men are more important than women. No, that's not what I said, first of all. The truth of the matter is men and women are created with equal worth, value, and dignity in the eyes of God. But as God has it, there are different roles and responsibilities. So... It doesn't make one better or worse. It just makes one understand their role. Um, I mean, quite honestly, I saw this. I am a huge football fan. Uh, I'm not here to, like, stir up any issues or anything. But uh, I am a – we are Kansas City Chiefs crazy. We, we're from there. My wife's from there. I went to grad school there. I, and don't think I'm a bandwagon guy. I am a 
five-year Kansas City fan. I was a Kansas City fan when they are horrible. I'm a Royals fan even, and they are horrible. Okay, so don't, I'm not, don't go there with me. I'm a huge Kansas City fan, so I'm a really happy Kansas City fan. So much a Kansas City fan. What I got my wife for Mother's Day this year, just gave it to her, won some serious brownie points as I bought her tickets to and airline tickets to the home opener on Thursday night against the Detroit Lions in Kansas City. So we'll be at week one under the lights on Thursday night. And then just as God's good sovereignty would have it, the, the Chiefs come to Jacksonville, Florida in week two, and my church happens to be 10 minutes from the stadium, so it'll be the shortest sermon you've ever heard in your life that day, and we'll be heading off to, to the Jacksonville Stadium. But we, we, I learned what I'm getting ready to tell you uh, really clear uh, two years ago. No, three years ago. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football right now. There's no discussion. It's really not even debatable. It really is. Just don't try. I'm not saying he's the greatest of all time. Obviously, he's not. Tom Brady is, okay? There's no question. I don't even like the guy. I'm sorry. I know some of y'all, it may really touch a nerve there, but uh, it's not. I, 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 but I wouldn't argue about it. I don't think there's any debate, yardage, touchdowns, records. I mean, there's no question. Nobody's even close. But right now, currently right now, there's no debate who the best football player in the world is, and that's our quarterback, uh, Patrick Mahomes. But in, uh, I can't remember the Super Bowl number. It was three years ago. We were, we were looking to repeat our Super Bowl 52 win, and we played Tampa Bay, of course. I think uh, that was the, when Tom Brady left New England and won the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. We got destroyed. We got destroyed in the Super Bowl. It was embarrassing. I don't invite people over to my house to watch football games because it gets crazy. Look, I don't, it's not fellowship time. I, if for some reason, people come to my house, it's like they want to talk. I don't want to talk to you during a football game. I want to listen to the football game. So we just don't do that anymore. We, just, we, just don't, we, don't, we don't bother. Um, it, it's just, it just gets real rowdy there. But what happened in that Super Bowl when we lost? I can tell you what happened. We had two offensive line injuries going into the Super Bowl. Our offensive line had a major breakdown, and Patrick Mahomes was running for his life most of the game, and it was a complete train wreck. What's the point? The point is, Patrick Mahomes is absolutely amazing, but he is nothing without his offensive line. So what did we do? We went in the offseason and restructured and rebuilt and turned around with an awesome offensive line, and we won last year's Super Bowl, and now we're rebuilding another offense, uh, portions of our offensive line this year. Why has the Kansas City Chiefs put such an emphasis on the offensive line? answer is because they know it can't just be Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Joe Burrow has learned that in Cincinnati. They've had a terrible offensive line, and we could go on about that. Everybody understands that concept. So, guys, here's the point. The point is, in your marriage relationship, you must have unity. You must understand your responsibility, and you must view your marriage as something that is a bit of teamwork, but it's even more than teamwork. It's complete and absolute unity. It's not, it's not if you didn't have your spouse, you'd have a missing part. It's if you didn't have your spouse and it isn't functioning right, you are not you, because together you are one. And so unity becomes the central issue in marriage. There's three reasons why people get divorced. Three, uh, the three leading reasons why. Somebody tell me, what's one? What do you know? What's one? What's one? 
Money. That's actually number two, but it is one of the top three. Money problems. Unfaithfulness. That's number one, always. I mean, that's the marriage killer. And then, of course, money problems, number two. Number three is this, it's this funny, yes, sir. Okay, yeah, it's kind of this slush fund category, if you will. It's kind of this, it's kind of this catch-all, little milk toast, not sure what it really means. But it's basically this, irreconcilable differences. It means we don't love each other anymore. It means the fire is gone. It means we can't get along. It means we don't know how to communicate, whatever it means. It just means it's not working right. I can assure you that if you do not have a unified vision for your family, for your children, for your own love relationship, for your relationship with God, so on and so forth, you're going to be in an unhappy marriage. So the walls we're going to talk about are unity. You have got to be on the same page. Now, I'm going to take you to the book of Nehemiah. It, you know, I, I, I debated about whether I would use Nehemiah like this. I recognize that Nehemiah is not about marriage. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to believe that. Okay? But here's what Nehemiah is. Nehemiah is a clear, clear testament to how to get something done. Now, people have used Nehemiah for church building projects and all that kind of stuff. Look, look, the truth of the matter is the building of the wall is a narrow portion of the broader book of Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. What it's more about is this man's ability by God to bring together something that was completely broken and failed and unite people in a very, very, literally insurmountable project for the glory of God and bring a restoration of spiritual and relig- spirituality and religion to the people of God who have been displaced for 70 years. Okay? So Nehemiah, as you know, comes in, and chapter 1 tells us that he was a cupbearer for a king. Now, at this time, uh, Nehemiah is living uh, outside of Jerusalem in what we call the exile or the deportation. There's three stages of Israel's history, okay? I'm just trying to set, a, set something for you here. There's pre-Canaan, in Canaan, and post-Canaan. Everything in the Old Testament is about the land. Now, it's ultimately about Jesus, but it, it, it centers around that land, right? There was a promised land. So Genesis through Deuteronomy, it's about before they got in the land. Then there's Joshua through 2 Chronicles. That's in the land. They conquered the land. They live in the land, right? And then you got uh, what? You got Esther, or excuse me, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are outside of the land. They're, they're literally, God has been telling them for years, you guys keep messing around like this. You keep, you keep doing this, and it's going to cost you, and ultimately it did. How did it cost them? In 722 B.C., the Assyrian army defeated Israel in the north, and in 586 B.C., the uh, Babylonian army defeated Judah in the south, Okay. In between 586 B.C. and this story, a whole new kingdom has taken over called the kingdom of Persia. This is all in the book of Daniel. You can read about it. It's a really fascinating story. By the way, I know this, is, this has nothing to do with marriage, but this is just so cool. I can't, I can't pass this up. In Daniel, Daniel, Daniel is told by God about these dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had, the dreams of the statue and all this. And Daniel interprets that and says, you're a great king, Nebuchadnezzar, but your kingdom's got a time shelf 
and then there's coming a king after you, and there's going to be a kingdom after you, and then that kingdom's going to have a shelf life, and then there's going to be one coming after him, and that kingdom's going to have a shelf life, and then there's going to come another kingdom, and there's going to be one that's going to come in during that kingdom and knock them all down. The beautiful thing about that is Daniel was told by God, uh, here's the truth. The truth is all great kings have a greater king. King Jesus. And when Daniel said the next kingdom is going to come in is the Persian kingdom, what you don't sometimes see, in, if you're not paying attention to the Bible, is that the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar have been defeated. There's a whole new world power called the Persians. Nebuchadnezzar is the cupbearer of the king of Persia. It's a big deal. Okay, you want to know what a cupbearer is? Think butler. Don't think cupbearer because that sounds kind of weird. What in the world is a cupbearer? And people said, well, a cupbearer's the guy who had to taste the wine before he gave it to the king, so he, you know, make sure he didn't poison. That was part of it. But that was not all of it, people. In fact, uh, in the book of Genesis, you remember the story of Pharaoh, and he had the chief baker and the chief butler. Many, uh, many newer uh, 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 translations would call that cupbearer or butler. Some people call this word in, in Nehemiah, butler. The, the thing is, he is the, he's not just a guy who served glasses. He was literally over uh, the hospitality ministry of the whole kingdom. So, the, the, so, so he is a cupbearer. He is, he is from Israel. He is a government official. Let's put it like that. In chapter number one, uh, he gets word from his brother Hananiah that Israel is in shambles and the wall is broken down. And the Bible says he responds by praying and asking God for forgiveness and humbly asking God to let him do something about it. And then in chapter number 2, this is kind of where we're going to start. In chapter number 2, he is now, after praying and asking God what to do. In fact, let me, let me read the last verse of chapter 1. Go here real quick. It says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, and, and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. Watch this. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Okay, who is that man? The king. He gets the news, something's wrong. He goes to God. By the way, you got something wrong in your relationship? There's your first step. First step. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Your first order of business is get to God. Respectfully, you may not need somebody to try to fix you. You may not need a therapist first. You may just need God. You may just need to go to God. That should be your first response. So he goes to God, and, and obviously, yeah, I mean, that's the first mention of this man. It's like, it's like, who is this man? And we find out in chapter 2 who this man is. Nehemiah doesn't say anything. Nehemiah doesn't tell Hananiah, I'm going to the king. We're going to talk about this. No, no, no. He goes to God, and obviously while he's praying, God's put this on his heart. I want you to go to the king. So in chapter 2, Let's start in verse number 1. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. Obviously, it's the butler. He's there. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore, the king said to me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And the king said, Let the king live forever. Why should not my... Then, excuse me, and said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste? 
and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Verse 4, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said, This is beautiful. Let me ask you a question. How fast do you think that prayer was right there? Now I'm going to go ahead and give you my point because I'm probably not even making sense, but let me give it to you. Unity begins with prayer. You want unity in your marriage? It starts with prayer. Was it awkward for you when Dan said at the beginning of this to pray together? Hmm. Guys, it's okay. It's okay. Your husband already knows it. You already know it. I'm just pointing it out. When I say something like that, it's not like there's not a bomb going off in the room. If prayer was awkward for you guys, maybe God did that to wake you up to the most fundamental thing that you need in your life right now. If it's hard to pray together, we need to start there. The greatest unity you'll ever have with somebody is when you pray for them. Why do you think the Bible says the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends? Job's heart was knotted up in bitterness and frustration about everything that happened and his friends giving all this terrible advice and he was mad at everybody and struggling with the questions. But when he turned it into prayer, God released him. Now, let me encourage you. Lest you think I'm getting ready to go on a lecture on how to pray 30 minutes a day for a successful marriage. Oh, give me a break. People don't do that stuff. Okay? I've heard every... I remember this years ago, Dan. Years ago, I was preaching for this old man in Tennessee. And I used to have this ideological view of prayer. Like, I'm going to go lock myself up in a closet like John Wesley. And I ain't coming out for 15 hours. And I might eat today, maybe. And I remember I preached a message on prayer, and I talked about, you know, praying 30 minutes a day. And this was was years ago, and I'm glad he busted my bubble when he did. Here's an old faithful man of God, been in ministry for 50 years. We went to lunch together after church. He wasn't being ugly. He was trying to help me, and he did help me. He said, Brian, your message was great. I appreciate it, but let me just challenge you about something. He said, "I've I've been a pastor for 50 years. I do not, listen to this, I do not think... Once in my life, I have ever prayed for 30 minutes straight. And then he paused and said, that doesn't mean I haven't prayed 30 minutes in a day. It just means I haven't done it 30 minutes straight. Now, that encouraged me. It released, guys, it released me from the legalism of prayer. And it it engaged me in the relationship of prayer. It let prayer actually be without ceasing. I am not challenging you to add one more burdensome thing to a schedule that is already so full you can't even breathe. I'm challenging you to do what Nehemiah did. King says, what do you need? God, help me. Here's what I need. Isn't that great? You don't have to put a clock on it. 
you don't have to feel bad if it takes you two minutes. You don't have to feel bad if it takes you 30 seconds. But for all that I am worth today, I'm going to challenge you. You want harmony in your marriage? You want Jesus at the center of your marriage? You want things to start to turn? You want to start seeing things happen? Then let's start praying together. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. There's no place of greater unity in the world than marriage because automatically at least two or three are in the room together. And we're Christians, right? I mean, when you've got two or three people united in... In fact, let's, let's hold your finger here. I want you to see something here. It's beautiful. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Go to Matthew chapter number 18. I want you to see this. This is so good. It's that passage. Verse number 19, look at this. And again I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done uh, uh, for them, for my Father which is in heaven. For where two or, or three are gathered together in my name, There am I in the midst of them. I want you to circle the word agree in verse number 19. And circle the word together in verse 20. You want to know what the word agree is in Greek? This is beautiful. I'm just going to give you the English of it because it's just so good. It's a transliteration in English, meaning it's really a Greek word, but they just kept it the same. It's kind of like baptism. Symphony. What is a symphony? Well, I'm not really a musician, but I can tell you what I think. I'm pretty sure I think it is. Symphony is four major instrument groups, right? Brass, woodwind, percussion, and strings coming together to produce a beautiful sound. Symphonic. The Greek, the Greek prefix soon means with. Phonics, sound. It's a with sound. It's the same sound. It's a harmonious sound. Write down the word harmony there. Write it down. You want to take notes? There's your note. Harmony. Agree. Together. Symphonic. Do you want your marriage to be a beautifully sounding orchestra or do you want it to be a clashing sound of your first grader trying to take drumming lessons but isn't that what jesus says or excuse me paul says that is true about a relationships without love what is it like clashing cymbals noisy percussion you can either make music in your marriage or you can make noise in your marriage and, and, and the key, what is the key? Now, this is super interesting. If you read the context of Matthew chapter 18, what is the context? It's about disagreements. It's about, it's about uh, uh, struggles. It's about if you have against something against your brother, go and tell him his fault and get it right, right? If, they don't, if, it, if you can't work it out together, bring somebody else from the church, which, by the way, is a solid, a solid case in the New Testament is built over and over and over again for letting other people help you if you are stuck. If they won't hear you, 
bring two or three more. What about, what about in Philippians chapter 4 when you got the two women fighting, right? Yodius and Syntyche, man, they are having a cat fight in church. I mean, it is claws out. It is crazy. They're fighting over the nursery schedule. They are going nuts about the you know, spaghetti dinner. They done had it with each other. They are literally caught. I mean, it's wild. It's hissing. And you know, you know, you know I love this. I love what, what Paul says to them. He says, true yoke fellow, help these women. You know what a yoke fellow was? This is cool. You know what a yoke is, right? Now, we don't do that anymore unless you're like on a little house on a prayer or something up here. But if, you know, we, we, we used to do this. Now we use tractors. But it used to be that you had like plowing. Uh, yeah, and he's got it. He's like, he's doing this. Yeah, that's exactly right. It used to be you would plow a field with an ox, with a team of oxen or with donkeys or whatever, and the yoke would put two animals under the same burden and literally lock them together to get them going. And so Paul says, You're, I, yoke fellow, guys, take this angry woman and take this angry woman and get them together. I, can I, I just want to stop and say this. The most helpful thing I can tell you all day is if you're stuck, you might need some help. It's Okay. Somebody was asking me the other day, uh, as a pastor friend, he said, man, sometimes I think I need counseling. And I, said, I looked at him and said, all the time I think I need counseling. <laughs> Dan said something profound at the beginning here. He said, we're so good at lying. Isn't that the truth? Church is the best place to come and try to cover up what's really going on. Man, if you need help, just get it, friend. It may be that you've had some things going on for a a lengthy period of time, and you can never make any headway. And every time something comes up, it's the same wall. It's the same struggle. It's the same, and you just can't get past it. Before you get out of it, get some help with it. So in that context, Paul or Jesus says, where to, if you agree... On earth, meaning two parties that were previously at odds with one another, if you actually come back together symphonically, now you can pray together. So here's a good place to start. Nehemiah starts there in chapter 1. Repentance, forgiveness leads to prayer and unity. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything right now at odds between you and your spouse? You know, man, it's so, 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 so funny how something so simple can make something so complicated. Have you ever said something to your spouse? You didn't think a thing about it, but they thought a thing about it. And all of a sudden, you're two or three days into this, and you're, trying to, you're starting to figure out something's not right. Guys, that's actually seven to ten days for us. You know, not to borrow all lyrics from country songs, but there's a current one that says, it's been a while since your kiss felt like kissing. There are some of you, you've lost some of that. You've lost some of that unity. You've lost some of that fire that Dan talked about. You're, you're very quick to argue. You're very quick to disagree. There's a lot of coldness. Intimacy is a challenge. 
So the first question you got to address is this. What went wrong that needs to be right? What was said that needs to be apologized for? What pattern is being set that needs to be broken? And you first need to apologize to God for not being who you were supposed to be. And secondly, you need to apologize to your spouse. And look, at the end of this session right here, we're just going to have a good old-fashioned fess-up moment, okay? And here's a challenge. If you feel that tension, if you feel that, this is, it's okay to do this. I have many times said, Angie, I think I'm feeling, I'm sensing, like my stupid meter's going off here. Did I do something or say something? And oftentimes, it just, it just real quick, yeah, you know, you, A, B, or C. Or you weren't sensitive to this, or you didn't respond to this, or you said this quick and, and kind of unkind or whatever the case may be. Get to the bottom of it so that you can then pray together. So you repent, chapter, Nehemiah chapter 1, you repent, you, you, you ask God to help you and fix you and, 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 and correct where you're at right now. And then, then you go to the work of prayer and you go to the work of asking for what you need. You're, you're going you're gonna to pray through the problem. And I want to tell you, one of the best things we've done as a couple is we do not let a day go by in our lives that we do not pray together. It may be 20 seconds because we're so tired, we cannot even hardly keep our eyes open. For us, it's the evening because I'm a morning person and my wife is not. Okay? I mean, I get up at 5 o'clock every day. She would be content with about 10 a.m. roughly. That would be about right. I I mean, that's just us. We're different. I am not going to expect my wife to get up and keep my demanding schedule because she's the weaker vessel. I'm not going to ask her to get up. I'm serious. No, that's a true statement. I'm not not being unkind about that. In, 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 In our relationship, literally physically, she is literally weaker. She cannot function as well as I can. Certainly not without sleep. Man, I go in about six hours a night. I got seven last night. I feel, I'm pretty fired up right now. I didn't have kids that I had to put to bed last night. You want to know the key to a successful marriage? I can tell you right now. Travel. That was a joke. That was a joke. I just joked, okay? No, that's absolutely not the key. But the truth is, I have to recognize I, I may not, I may not, I may have to find the time. What is the time? By the way, did you know, it doesn't have to be together. What if, what if the best time is during a lunch break together, you just have a prayer call? Or how about the 10-minute rule? I'm going to give you the 10-minute rule. Life changer, okay? I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I'm going to give you the 10-minute rule, okay? This is gold. Every marriage needs a 10-minute break every day. Okay, write it down. That was good. That's good. That's worth a bonus right there, Dan. That's worth a bonus. What I just said. Every couple needs a 10-minute break every day. And let me tell you, listen, guys, and, and don't say you don't have it. Does anybody here have more than five kids? How many? Seven. Whoa, let's go. How many back here? Six. So you guys are the only people in the same. Well, us three right here, we, got, we should have lunch together. Us three right here, we're the only ones that are even in the like, sphere here. When you got five kids, six kids, seven kids, really the truth is, one, <laughs> if you have any kids, how many know fighting for time, fighting for conversation, fighting for intimacy, fighting for all that is a challenge, right? So you know what we do? Ten minutes every day. 
10 minutes. We talk for 10 minutes every day. And nine times out of 10, it's when I get home. We literally shut the glass sliding door to our back patio. We make my daughter lock it from the inside and do all the lock-proof things on the top so that the kids cannot come out. Most of the three littles, they stand there and stare. (laughs) If I don't have 10 minutes to talk to my wife every day, I'm going to lose it fast. I'm talking about 10 minutes. Put a timer on it. Hey, how'd your day go? How you feeling? What do you need? What's your dream? Need help? What, where are we at? What's going on? What's tonight? What's tomorrow? Schedule check. All those things. 10 minutes a day. And you know what you can do in that 10 minutes a day? Pray together before you go back into the, mat, the madhouse. Just do it. Try it. Try it. Don't knock it till you tried it. But for me, it's when we go to bed. That's when we pray. It just has become a pattern. It doesn't take long to establish a habit. But pray. Pray together. Pray for the things that are most concerning to you. Pray for the constant commitment of your relationship. Pray through your sins and struggles. Apologize to each other and ask God to forgive you together right there on the spot. It is going to bring something in your life. It is going to bring something in your life. Pray for your children, man. How many got kids? How many have kids? Just about everybody. I hope you're praying for your kids. I hope you are building a wall of prayer around your kids. Their names are on my everyday prayer list. I mean, I was up this morning praying for my kids, praying for their hearts, praying for what's going on in their lives, praying for my daughter. She's 15. She's going to be going to college in a couple years. She's going to be driving. You know I'm praying. We are praying, 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 praying. I'm praying for my three little salvations. None of them are saved yet. I mean, they're, you know, Braxton's too. I'm about to give them the gospel. I'm just kidding. I mean, they're, 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 they're little but I'm praying for their salvation. I'm praying for these relationships. I'm praying for all of that. Guys, we have got to pray together if we are going to stay together. Let me give you a a real current example of this. It really challenged me. We have have had issues in our area, our home area of Jacksonville, of finding um, really a private school that we feel comfortable with. I'm not here to debate private, public, all that's all your business. Y'all can go argue about that lunch. Um, we don't get into the debate. We do private school. That's what we like. That's what we're comfortable with. But we've always found that, you know, it, there's not a school attached to a church like ours. It's just so we just, we just always find there's always something that we wish was better. I'm sure that's true of everybody. We had come to the conclusion we thought we were going to homeschool our kids out, which was going to be a challenge because my wife, that's not her thing. It's certainly not my thing. I think there's people who are gifted at it and people who are not. I mean, it is home education. I'll just leave that right there. So we brought our older two kids together. This is in February, just this past February. And one night we said, hey, guys, we think we're going to homeschool next year. Just want to talk to you about that. And I am telling you, immediately, both of them broke down sobbing. I was not expecting that. I thought my 15-year-old would probably not like it. But she didn't respond like a 15-year-old, like rebellious kid, like, why? Why can't we do it? No, she didn't do that. She started crying. 
my 10-year-old who I would have never dreamed because he'd rather get his school done in three days so he can go play. I mean, three hours. So he can just be done with it and go play outside all day. He was broken. They're weeping at our kitchen table. I just look up at my wife like, I, I, we got it kind of settled down. We talked for almost an hour. I came to the conclusion that this was genuinely a struggle. And I, I was teetering on the edge of feeling like if I just go through with this just because I'm so bullheaded and I don't consider all these factors, I might just break my daughter right here. So I told my wife that night, I said, I'm, I'm leaving town. I got to go preach in West Virginia for two days. I said, I, I'm telling you right now, you're just going to have to trust me on this. Let's pray right now. We'll pray together. But I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for three solid days about this. I'm going to commit this to God. And whatever God, whatever God leads me to do, we're going to do. And, and, and when I mixed that cocktail together, all those circumstances, all the prayers, all those things, I became convinced this is not the right time. I can bite the bullet with some things at a Christian school that I don't approve of. And, and I, can, I can deal with certain things that I don't like. But at the end of the day, how many of you understand this? At the end of the day, the most important thing that's going to determine whether my kids live for God or not has nothing to do with the school, has nothing to do with some church or a friend. It has everything to do with me. So I just resolved in my heart more than ever, I'm going to be involved in the lives of my children more than ever. And if their school is maybe not exactly what I want it to be, that's okay. Because at the end of the day, I'm the one responsible to raise my kids anyways. And man, that was a prayer decision. I'm thankful for my wife that was in there with me praying about that. And God let us, you say, you just let your kids tell you everything. Oh, listen, you have no idea. They think they live under Hitler. Okay. Uh, that's not how it goes. But I'm telling you, that was a God moment. It was a God moment. God was speaking. He speaks through circumstances. He was speaking in that moment, demonstrating to me that I better pray about this. I was looking at it from my own understanding. I was looking at the pros and cons. I was looking at, yeah, this is working. Yeah, this is not working. Yeah, I'll save money here and yeah, I won't here. And it was all human reasoning, man. I did not need more human reasoning. I needed God. I needed God to let me know what to do. How can we know that God's in the middle of it? How can we know that God's working? How can we know that God's bringing the unity in our family if we're not praying, man? So Nehemiah shows us unity comes through prayer. Secondly, he shows us unity comes through partnership. Unity comes through partnership. Oh, man. What happens in chapter 2? Now, i got to summarize. Lunch is at noon, right? Lunch is at noon. Okay, i got 10 minutes. Let me summarize. Can I summarize again? Okay, you can read it later. I promise you it's all there. In Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah gets what he asks for. The king lets him come back to lead a group of people to rebuild the wall. So that all happens at the beginning of chapter 2. And at the end of chapter 2, he arrives in Jerusalem. And the Bible says, I believe, beginning in like verse 12, it says, I gathered some men with me. And we went around the city at night. We didn't tell anybody. We went out and, and we looked at all the gates. There was like 12 gates around the city of Jerusalem. They examined each gate, looked at all the walls broken down. And he, he's, he's not saying anything. He's just sharing. He's just collaborating. It's what I would call sharing vision. He's just sharing vision. He's just saying, hey, come on. Let's look at it. Ooh, look at that. Ooh, wow. 
And then in verse 17, he says, you see the distress that we are in. And that ye, that's plural. Most of you know that by now. In, in King James, if you see a ye, that's a plural. Okay, It's a plural of you. Ye, meaning you guys collectively see what's happening. What did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah, after he prayed about what to do, after God led him in prayer about what to do, what happened? He, he created a partnership. The prayer led to a partnership. He was not going to be able to do this on his own. He was going to need these men around him to share the vision, to collaborate with him, to bury the burden with him so that they could execute the mission. And that's what you need in your relationship. Guys, you've got to stop pulling against each other and you've got to start pulling with one another. I mean, you do know that two horses that would pull a carriage, uh, when they are together they can pull twice as much together as they could collectively as individuals. You know that, right? That's called synergy. Your marriage needs synergy. You need to work together. You are together. And you need to act like a functioning unit. And let me give you, let me give you a few ways this happens, okay? And I am going, this is about to be the biggest rapid fire you have ever experienced in your life, okay? Number one, this requires communication. Nehemiah was communicating. He wasn't necessarily saying anything, but he was clearly communicating. When it was done, he said, you see what I'm talking about? You see that? They communicated. They shared things. Every relationship needs clear, regular, and open communication. About what? What are we communicating about? Well, shortly, everything. But on a practical level, how about this? Schedules. How many of you guys have schedules? How many of you have a schedule? Ouch, that's not enough. How many of you have a calendar? Like, you know what a calendar is? Okay. Let me encourage you. One of the best things we've ever done for our marriage. Most of you have kids. Just have a family calendar that's also synced with my business calendar. That's also synced with my church calendar. My wife has all that. When I'm making a decision like coming here. So when Dan asked me to come here. The first thing I do is give the request to my wife. You want to know why? She's just got the ability to see things I don't see. She takes my church life, she takes my family life, and she takes my professional life, and she looks at it from a bird's eye view, and she says, you know what, that that looks right, that'll fit. Why am I flying out 3 o'clock this afternoon? Because that's how it fits. She knows that it's a busy season. She knows that it's the end of the school year. She knows all these things are going on, and graduate. I was at a graduation yesterday morning, and all these things. My kids' awards all next week. Somebody invited me to preach next week somewhere. I couldn't do it. Why? Because my kid's going to get a little award at kindergarten graduation. That's why, and I need to be there. Are y'all hearing me? How do you get there? You communicate. You communicate about schedules. Every week we talk about our schedule. So let me give you this real quick. Okay, I, I gave you the 10 minute a day. That's, that's dialoguing every day for 10 minutes. This is number two. You date every week. You date your wife every week of the calendar year. You have 52 dates from this week till next time I come back next year. Okay, 52, 52 dates absolutely required, no negotiation. You're not going to build a marriage without dating. You're not going to have communication without dating. And guys, I'm not talking about spending a bunch of money. I was telling Dan before I came over here, you want to know what a couple of our dates are? I, I am not joking. I have literally walked out my front door, locked the door, stepped into my car, turned on the air conditioner, and sat in my driveway with my wife, I mean. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's a date. There's not five kids pulling at us and talking about how they need to refill their water or whatever. Or we're still potty training. We're at the end of potty training. Gosh, y'all just pray for us. I'm telling you, I'm just getting too old for this, man. Look, you start mixing that in, and you're still changing nasty diapers. I mean, it's like you're just, you're just, you're, you're, I mean, you're on the verge of something disastrous happening. So what do we do? We go on a date every week, every week. And it's during that date that we talk about our schedule. This is when Angie pulls up the calendar and we look at the weeks, the days. That's why she's got things interjected for this coming Wednesday as an example. I've got tons of people pulling on me. I'm getting ready to go on vacation. I looked at Wednesday. Wednesday is blocked out from 8 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. If you want me next week, it's not going to be on Wednesday. You see what I'm saying? Now, if I mess that up and I go booking stuff, I'm going to be the one canceling it because I'm not going to get by me. Angie's going to tell me you're going to have to cancel that. <laughs> she's going to tell me what to do. But the bottom line is, we don't have to worry about that because we sync. We sync calendars. And we talk all the time about this. God, guys, go to McDonald's. Get the, I know, I know it's not the $1 menu anymore. It's the $10 menu. But still, look, go to McDonald's. Go to, go to the ga- whatever gas station around here has the 99-cent foam, 32-ounce foam drinks. You know the one I'm talking about? Go there, get your soda, and sit in the parking lot of the thing. And by the way, if you do not have, I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you do not have $50 to go buy a soda for your wife once a week, I will give you $50 before I leave. I promise you. If you will take it and buy her a soda and set in a parking lot of a, of a convenience store for at least 30 minutes once a week, it's on me. You will make time for your marriage now or you will make time for it later on a therapist's couch or in a divorce lawyer's office. You dialogue every day, 10 minutes. You date every week, at least for 30 minutes, and then you depart once a quarter. This is an overnighter every quarter for us. We go overnight every... By the way, more than that, we go on a one-week vacation with just me and her every year. I'm getting ready to go to Jamaica in two weeks. Yes, I'm very excited about that. We go for seven days every year of our lives, even though I've got five kids. My kids are fine. I was married before I had kids. I'll be married when my kids are gone. I'm not going to wake up five years from now, look at her in my bed and go, who are you? I don't like you. I haven't talked to you much. No, no, no. No, we're going to keep it hot. We're going to keep it right. We're going to keep our relationship strong. And so, yes, I spend the money to fly my mother-in-law in from out of state into Florida, and she stays at my house with my kids for seven days so I can go on a vacation with my wife. And I do it every single year. Why? Why am I doing that? we got to have time together, guys. Just like Dan was saying, man, you know, we need some time. My wife needs some time with me. So does yours, and so does your husband. And ladies, you can get so consumed. I mean, some of you ladies, I know, I know, good night. I know you're working and children, the whole thing. You got the whole thing going on. Very rarely do I meet people these days that, that even though they got kids, like most of you have kids, I would say most of you that have kids are also, also working. Do you guys have any idea? Well, yeah, of course you do. The enormous challenge it is when daddy's working 40 plus hours a week and mommy's working 30 to 50 hours a week and you have kids? 
You better scrap for every second you can get. If you want to keep it going and you want to keep your relationship right, you have got to communicate about schedules. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to bridge the gap here. Okay, listen, I I know where I'm going. I promise you. I got got one more. I'm out of time. I told you this was going to go this way. But let me, let's just stop here before we go to lunch and let's take that minute right now and let's just pray. And if there's something there, just, just get it right. Even if you've got to work through it later, you can at least say, God, I'm sorry, and baby, I'm sorry. And you can pray and we can move on, okay? So let's pray right now. I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray quietly there to yourself. To, I mean, to God, obviously, but to your, with yourself. Would you take the time to do that? And then, Dan, you can come dismiss us for lunch. Just take a minute right now. I'm not, I'm not even looking at you, okay? I'm not even looking at you. Maybe you just need to just write it down if you have to. Write down on your notes, I'm sorry. Whatever. We have to pray and we have to partner. We have to pray and we have to partner. God, forgive us. God, help us. It's a good prayer. God, forgive us. God, help us. Maybe at lunch you can take a minute and write down a good time to do your 10 minutes a day. God, help every one of us in this room to work at building the kind of relationship that would please you. God, may you bring great unity, build these walls of unity around each home. May we be strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen.